read uh, from Genesis chapter 22, and then I'm going to pray. So, Genesis chapter 22 says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram, caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've been with us, and we thank you that you're with us now. We thank you for the stories and the testimonies of your mercy and your grace towards us. We thank you that you answer prayer. And Father, I pray that right now you will be with us as I speak. I pray for open hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you will know, if you've been coming here at all, um, that we've been going through a series in Genesis, and more recently we've been looking particularly 
at Abraham. And we've come to the last of the Abraham part of that series. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's the only time where in this particular account that the phrase is used that God tested Abraham. Yet if you read the stories of Abraham, you would have thought that a lot of it was a test. That Abraham went through a number of things. He received a promise early on, and then he goes through a number of things that you might have thought were a test. But this is the only time the Bible actually calls it a test, that God tests him. And so it's important for us to understand some of the history to understand why Abraham responds in the test in the way that he does. We need to understand something of the history. What shaped his response? What's made him respond in the way that he responds to God at this point? We need to understand something of his history, the impact of that. You see, it's the same with you or I. Um, Our history with God often determines how we respond to God in the present and in the future. If you can declare God's faithfulness in your past, you will look to God for your future. If you cannot declare his faithfulness in your past, you might struggle to look to him for your future. If you've been used to sorting things out for yourself and saying, God, will you come with me? Then you'll carry on doing that until you get to a place or a point where you go, do you know what? I need to recognize God is faithful. And one of the things that I've been doing throughout this series on Abraham is trying to show how God says something about himself. He demonstrates something about himself through his relationship with Abraham. And one of those things is this, God is faithful. He was faithful to Abraham and he's faithful to us today. And so we have that story uh, where Abraham is in that place of Haran and God speaks to him. He gives him a promise. He tells him to go. He uses the same phrase, doesn't he? Go to a place that I'll show you. Now, if you think about modern day, the way we work, you know, that's not enough. It's not enough for Google Maps. They go to a place I'll show you. No, thank you. I need to know where am I going? Yeah, if you can't show me, then I'll just get something that can show me or I won't go. That's how we often respond. And we need to understand how we culturally respond to stuff and how different that can be to the way God deals with it. Go to a place I'll show you, he says to Abraham. And he gives Abraham a promise. There are various obstacles in the way of that promise. And over time, we see God remove those obstacles one by one. And right now, we're at that place where all is what you would have hoped. Abraham must have sat down and watched Isaac playing in the sand or on the ground and thought, God has been good to me. I'm living in the land that he's promised. I've got the son that he's promised. There is peace around me. And then God speaks to him again. No doubt he's reflected on the past and on on the way God has worked with him. God protected him in Egypt. He blessed him in Egypt. He came out of Egypt far more wealthy than he went into Egypt. God separated Lot from him and then he rescues Lot. He's been constantly reminded of the promise and the expansion of the promise. God makes a covenant with him. Abraham lives in this world of covenant relationship with God. He reveals his plans to him. Do you remember when God says, shall I, not, shall, I, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And he talks to him about Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham prays, Abraham talks back to God, and as a result, Lot is spared again. We see God's compassion towards Hagar and Ishmael. 
and his amazing grace and faithfulness towards Abraham and Sarah by giving them Isaac. God has been good to him. Abraham would have reflected on that. Maybe he would have told Isaac that he had been blessed. And then we get this test. He tests him. Now, it's worth pointing out, we know from the story, it's a test. And because it's a test, you just have to ask the question, because for us this is a big thing, would God have actually carried that out? God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. Yeah? Some of us get stuck there. Yeah? Child, sac- are you serious? God said that? Surely to goodness God would never have done that. We get stuck there. But it's a test, the Bible says. It's a test. One of two things were going to happen. Either Abraham was going to sacrifice, go on and sacrifice uh, Isaac and, and pass the test and God was going to stop him, or he wasn't going to do it. He was going to refuse and decide, that's not God, the voice of God. He would never tell me to sacrifice Isaac. Surely that doesn't make any sense. However, it was more than just about Abraham and Isaac because there was a day to come in the future that this day would point to. This day was pointing to another day. It wasn't just about this day. There was going to day, there was a day coming in the future when a father would sacrifice his son. He would give him up. And there would be no one there to say, oh no, 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 don't do it. I know now. There was no one there to do that on that day. And yet Abraham is tested. In this way. So we're going to just walk through the story and we're going to look at what can we learn? What can we learn from uh, uh, Abraham in this case? First of all, we learn this Abraham had learnt the lesson of simple obedience. Some of us are very clever. Yeah? Many of you are much, much cleverer than me. You can, you can argue things and talk about things in ways that I don't understand. Yeah? I've learned to be able to say mumble in the right places at times. And so I can give the impression I know more than I do. Yeah? Some of you are very, very clever. And yet Abraham is asked for, and we are asked for, simple obedience. You don't need to be clever. It's, it's, it's worth noting, you don't need to be clever to be a Christian. Yeah? You don't need to be bright. You don't need to be intelligent. You don't need to be, attra- you don't need to be any of those things, but you do need to be obedient. You do need to be obedient. And Abraham had learnt this. So when God speaks to him, it's, 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 it's clear, it's obvious that Abraham responds, quick, here I am. Yeah? He had learnt over the years that when God speaks, you respond, here I am. He's revealing, I'm responding. It's not he's revealing and I'm running around and he's having to talk again and again. No, he's revealing, I'm responding. By this time, Abraham had learnt that. Now we look at the circumstance, the situation of Isaac... And again, I'm amazed at Abraham's response early the next morning. So God speaks, I want you to take your son to a place I'll show you and you're going to sacrifice him to me. We don't find that Abraham spends days wondering, is this really the Lord? Yeah. Early the next morning, he gets up without hesitation. It's an immediate response. He doesn't hesitate to do what God had asked. Why? Because he had learnt over the years, oh, God requires obedience. Yeah? Even more than sacrifice, he requires obedience. He requires that you and I do what he asks us to do, that we act in the ways he asks us to act. 
Not everyone responds like that. You remember Moses, when God first called Moses, there's this big discussion about, about whether or not Moses should go. And in the end, Moses is like, I just don't want to go. And God says to him, you know, God, I think it might say something like, and, and, and his anger burned against Moses. And he said, Moses, you're going to go. You're going to go. Or you remember the story of Jonah. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. In fact, he worked it out. And imagine how many times we do this. Oh, I don't want to get, not God's called me to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. So I'm going to run away. Yeah, I can, I can run away from God. Yeah, really? You can run away from God and hide in the corner? Yeah, you know, like, that, that's a bit like the child going, you can't see me anymore. Yeah, you run from God. You can't hide from God. It's ludicrous. And Jonah knew it was ludicrous, but he's trying to do that. He's trying to run away because he doesn't want to go. And you remember Peter making all those big, big, bold statements about he'll never leave Jesus and I'll die for you. And then, and then when a servant girl says to him around the courtyard, um, uh, uh, Peter, uh, you were with him. And he says, oh, no, I wasn't. He denies it. Yeah? Weak. Yeah, I'm like, I would be weak. Like, oh, yeah, no, no, it wasn't me. I wasn't with him. Oh. So not everyone responds like Abraham responded. And many of us, if God had spoken, I know what we would do because of the culture that we live in. We would have had questions. And our biggest question would be, is this really God? Is this really God? I'm just not sure because it doesn't make sense. Of all the things God has promised me, the, he's promised me land, he's promised me an heir, he's promised me these things, he's told me Isaac's the heir, he's told me, he's told me, he's told me, and now he's telling me to give him... No, God wouldn't do that. That would make God a schizo, surely. <laughs> God doesn't know he's left from his right, he doesn't understand himself. No, this is not God. Let's just put that to a side and let's just get on with worshipping him and loving him and following him with all our hearts. That's what we would have done. Yeah, because we live in an age where we just would not have taken this. Yet Abraham gets up and he goes. It was completely contrary to what God had said, but he was hearing God as clearly now as he had heard him before. He knew it was God speaking, even though it didn't make sense. You see, you can conclude from this that, that, that God isn't necessarily logical. You can't work him out, yeah? You think you've worked him out? Particularly some very bright people here, you work God out. Oh, God told me this, he told me A, and he told me B, and one and one, and it makes two, and then two times two, it's four. No, it's easy. Yeah? God is not logical like that, yeah? He's not, he's not logical. Um, but neither is he evil. God doesn't play games, yeah? We know that because right at the very beginning, he reveals himself as a father. He's not evil. He's not trying to mess you about. He's not mocking you. But he will test your commitment to him and he will test your obedience to him. Yeah, And he'll want you to demonstrate that. So he will do that. You need to understand that. You might think, oh, but surely it would make a lot of sense. It won't necessarily make sense to you, but God will test whether or not you are following him. And then the passage tells us, though this lesson of simple obedience, on the third day, the third day. You see, Abraham's response to God was immediate, but it wasn't impulsive. It took a little while to get there. He would have had lots and lots of time to think about what was about to happen. He wasn't responding impulsively because he felt great in that moment. He was responding uh, uh, obediently. It took three days to walk to the place that God would show him to make the sacrifice. So when Isaac asked, 
Where's the sacrifice, Dad? Where's the thing that you're going to put on the altar before God? Abraham has had three days, probably of an internal faith battle. Three days to work it out. Three days to battle it out. Three days to get there with it. And so his response is, God will provide. Yeah? He'd come to that conclusion. Yeah? So sometimes God tells you to do something. You want to respond to him. You need to work it out. You need to battle it out. Not in terms of, how can I work out the answer? But you need to get to the place where you're settled in your spirit. The Lord, he will provide. I don't know the answer to this, but God, he will provide. That's what Abraham says, and it's interesting. His son then doesn't argue. You don't find uh, Isaac fighting him. But those words uttered so simply, yet powerfully and prophetically, because indeed the Lord would provide. Yeah? And he would provide the lamb. And it would be a lamb that would be sacrificed after a third day. He would provide. God does provide. And just like we find Isaac... Isaac's not fighting his father. Jesus doesn't fight his father, does he? You don't find Jesus battling it out with God. Oh, my goodness, do I have to? Oh, I can't do that. You don't find him doing that. You find him responding a bit like Isaac, led like a lamb to the slaughter. So Abraham had learnt the lesson of simple obedience. And, oh, I can only encourage you to learn that lesson. Learn the lesson of simple obedience. When God speaks, you act. Yeah? Sometimes you, need to, you need, you, sometimes you do need to check it out. Sometimes you do need to be sure and, and, and to get people. But when God speaks, you act. Don't, when God speaks, you then rationalise it away. Because that is so often how we respond. We don't want to hear it. Secondly, Abraham had learnt the faith lesson. There was a faith lesson. And this is what it says in Hebrews 11 about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned. This is maybe his internal faith battle on that three-day journey. Abraham reasoned that God would raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he received Isaac back from the dead. So he learnt the faith lesson, which is why the Bible calls Abraham the father of faith. The first person to believe. He believed. In Genesis 15 it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed. God spoke, he believed. So Abraham became the father of those who would believe. And they would believe what they did not see with their own eyes. Yeah? It goes on in Hebrews 11. By faith, when Abraham was called to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. He believed. Really simple. Do you believe? I was challenged yesterday. I was listening to, we're in the car, we were driving up to Lancaster to pick up Yasmin and drive back down, and we're in the car, and we're listening to a Keith Green CD. Pauline loves Keith Green, and she's 
singing away. I didn't know all the words, but I'm listening and I'm reading a little bit about it in the, in the, uh, in the sleeve of the album. And it talks about Keith Green, because he was quite a radical in his day, he was quite prophetic, he was quite provocative. One of the things he said, he talked about, he said, Christians don't tell lies. They only sing about them on Sundays. Christians don't tell lies, they only sing about them on Sundays. And, and I was like, oh, you know. But then I thought, about, I thought about it. I thought, okay, I sing the song, Lord, I give you my heart. Is it true? Am I being honest? None but Jesus. Am I being honest when I, when I sing that? Sometimes when I sing those songs, is that me being honest or have I just got into the tune and the music and I sing the words and in the moment I'm, I'm believing it, but in reality it's not true. We don't go around necessarily telling lies, but sometimes we sing things that, I don't know, are they true of us? Are they real for us? Abraham learnt obedience and he learnt faith. Thirdly, Abraham was about to demonstrate that knowing God was more important to him than all the blessings and the promises that God had given to him. He was about to demonstrate knowing God was more important. You see, God placed an obstacle in his way, and it wasn't circumstances. That was Egypt. It wasn't a person. That was Abimelech. It wasn't sin. These things weren't placed in his way. At this point, God puts himself in the way. He puts him very, his very self in the way. He makes the test personal. Yeah, sometimes we struggle with that. Don't make it personal. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the circumstances, the situation. God makes it personal. He brings it right to the fore. Does Abraham love me more than the promise? Is it me or is it what I've promised him? All I've given him and promised him, is that his final and ultimate motivation? Abraham had discovered a secret. The real issue here was not the promises and the blessings. It was not simply that Isaac, in whom all the promises and blessings of God were embodied, would be killed. That wasn't the issue here. But rather the prospect that Abraham would attach himself to that promise more than he would attach himself to the God who made the promise. God wanted to test that there and then. Yeah? Before all of us became, became descendants of Abraham, he wanted to ensure that the person who began all of this, it was him he was after. It was the relationship, it was God himself. It wasn't the blessing, it wasn't the promise. That was massive. Massive for Abraham, it's massive for us. It's massive for us. Whether or not we are in this because God has promised and, and given us blessings and he's, he's told me, I'm going to do some great things with you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Is that why we're here? Or is it God himself? When we gathered as men um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, John shared his testimony. And one of the things he, he, he really sort of, he was sharing his testimony, but he challenged us with was the difference between knowing God and knowing about God. Yeah? Because we all know about God. Do you know what I mean? We could, I could do some little Bible study quiz, and some of you are very bright. You could answer lots of questions. I could say, you know, tell me 1 Kings, 1, 1 Kings 17. Someone would go, do you know what story of Elijah? I can just tell you the story if you want me to. I can go on and tell you other things about Elijah. Do you, know, you could do that. Some of you are very, very clever. Yeah? We know about God. 
Yeah, and with our kids, we teach our kids about God. And it's really important to know about God. Because do you know what? It was as a child that I was taught about God. And it was as I grew up that I began to know him and I filled in all those blanks. But knowing about him really helped. It really does help. Yeah? But if you never move from knowing about God to knowing God, you would never do what Abraham did here. Because it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't make any sense. If it was all about knowing about God, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't even understand why on earth is God asking me to do that? That doesn't make any sense. When I read all the scriptures, it doesn't say that. This is about knowing God. This is about knowing the one who, who's the promise giver, not just the promise that he gives. It's massive. This is about none but Jesus. Not about what Jesus can do for me. It's none but Jesus. And, and, and sometimes, and some of us are getting, do you know what, that's true. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, not, it's, that, it's that. Yeah, if I were to say to you, look, I'll say this to me as well. If it were never to get any better than this for you, if it were never to get any further, if this was it, you and God, however it is for you now, with your dreams and your hopes and your promises all there, but actually God says, no, no, put all of that on the altar. It's you and me. How many of us would go, hallelujah, Lord, it's you I want? Or how many of us would go, whoa, 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 whoa. God, let's just, talk, let's just talk a bit more, please. <laughs> we just need to establish one or two other things before you start making that type of decision. That's a big decision, God, you know that. You can't just take all the blessings. You can't take away the promise. Surely. How many of us would struggle I would struggle with that. I would really struggle if God came to me and he said, Owen, it's just you and me. The blessings, the promises, I just want you to put them on the altar. I just want you to put them down. I don't want you to worry about them. Don't even think about whether they're going to happen. It's just me. It's just me. How many of us are motivated to that degree? How many of us love him to that degree? How many of us, when we sing, none but Jesus, mean it like that? Or how many of us would be like, oh, well, I would hope I would do that. But do you know what? I might sidle off and find a church where they're not asking me to do that. Find a place where it's just a little bit easier to have the blessings and the benefits and the personal, it's me thing and developing and all that type of stuff. What, what God brings to Abraham, he brings to us. The same thing. It's the same thing. Do I mean more to you than the promise? Do I mean more to you than all the blessings? Do I mean more to you? Because in the end, the thing you need to understand about God is, ex is it's exclusive worship that counts. God isn't there to be shared. He's not there to, be, to come alongside all your other stuff and you know, I love God and I love this and I love that. I love football. I love God and I love Pauline. I love, my, they all, they all, I love them all. No, no, God is not to be shared. Yeah, the God of heaven, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, needs exclusive worship, exclusive devotion. Absolutely. It's not to be shared. It's not to be, uh, I can do it here and I can do it there. It's, it's, it's final, it's total. And he shows us that through this. It's not just I'm saying that. He shows us that through this story of Abraham and Isaac, and we know the later story when he does the very same for us. He shows it to us. He proves it to us. You see, 
It's only in the reality of the furnace, that moment of testing, that we discover whether we are made of gold or of wood. Whether the fire will simply um, refine you or destroy you. It's only in the matter of testing that you find that out. You don't find that out by reading books. You don't find that out by going to churches. You find that out when God tests you. Am I made of gold or am I made of wood? Abraham discovered he was gold. And there we find a massive encouragement because it's possible to be gold. It's possible for a man who is human, who had less revelation than we have. It's possible for a man who is human with less revelation than we have to put everything on the line and say, no, Lord, it is you. It's possible for a man to do that. That means it's possible for us to do that. We'll never be perfect. Jesus, We're not perfect, but you can do that. The next thing we find is that Abraham and Isaac, they shadow, as I've hinted before, an even greater sacrifice. So why does God allow all this to go on? He allows it to go on because he's proving something about himself. He allows it to go on because he's testing Abraham, but he allows it to go on because this is a moment that's going to stand in history. Yeah? And this is a moment that will shadow another moment of history. It was really important. It was a big thing. Abraham and Isaac is a big thing in the story. When Abraham went to place the sacrifice three days walk away, when he bound his son, who willingly submitted to being placed on the altar as a sacrifice, he was showing us something. He was showing us about the ultimate thing that God would one day do for his people. He was demonstrating it in part here. God did not require Abraham to go through that ultimate sacrifice, but he went through that sacrifice. He went through that sacrifice. He placed his son on the altar willingly. His son willingly allowed himself to be beaten, to be tortured, to be hung on a cross and sacrificed to die on our behalf. Three days. He hung on the cross and died and he was three days in the grave. Three days. He died in my place. He died in your place. He died in our place. And on the third day, he rose again so that we might know God. Not know about God, but we might know God. He opened the way for you to know God. That is one of the most amazing truths in the Bible. God opened the way for you to know him through his son. Christ became the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. God promised Abraham stuff over here, but the ultimate fulfillment of that promise was in Christ over here. We become like Abraham's descendants. Not because we are physically descendants of Abraham, who then became, if you like, the people of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel and the Jews. We're not descendants in that way, but we are descendants through faith, through belief. In the end, it was faith that counted. You read Romans, the first part of Romans, it tells us that it was faith that was credited. And so if you believe in God through faith, you become a descendant of Abraham. We become the ultimate fulfillment of the promise of blessing. 
Bible uses this technical term of when it describes it, substitutionary atonement. There are people today who don't believe that. And that is one of the biggest tragedies of our day. That the very foundation of the salvation gospel you can disregard. Substitution is massive. That's why there are sacrifices. Yeah? The purpose of the sacrifice was so that we didn't die. In the Old Testament, the reason they had sacrifices was because there needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be blood spilt in order for, for the sins of the people to be, uh, to be repealed, if you like. And we see it with Abraham. Yeah, he's being asked to sacrifice his son. Doesn't happen. There's a youth, there's a lamb there. He brings it in. He sacrifices the lamb. It's a model for us. Jesus does the same. You don't believe that. You don't believe Christianity. You don't believe the fundamental thing of the gospel. You don't believe it. And it was interesting. I was thinking about that this morning. And then I went into my reading, one of my books I read in the morning. And this is a, a book that Spurgeon has written. And it's got just daily readings. And this is what it said today. Well, this is what I read today. I think it's two days ago. This is what it read. It says, In these days, a direct attack is made upon the doctrine of the atonement. The idea that God atoned for our sins through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Men cannot bear substitution. They gnash their teeth at the thought of the Lamb of God bearing the sin of man. But we who know by experience the preciousness of this truth, will proclaim it in defiance of them confidently and unceasingly. We will neither dilute it nor change it nor fritter it away in any shape or fashion. It shall still be Christ, a positive substitute, bearing human guilt and suffering in the stead of men. We cannot, dare not, give it up. It's fundamental. In the end, the story of Abraham brings us to the place of sacrifice. It brings us to the place of salvation. It's a model. It's an example for us. So very quickly, very quickly, I want to talk about our church for a moment. For us as a church, we're, we're being called to fulfill a mission, assignment, which just becomes a little bit clearer as we go on. You'll know that when I came here, I didn't really know what I was going to do. Very early on, all the thoughts that I had, I remember talking to all the elders of my last church. What should I do when I go to Beacon? They gave me all these ideas. Within the first few weeks, I realized, you know what, those ideas, I need to put them to one side, and I need to pray. Yeah? So that's what I began to do. I began to pray. And when I prayed, the idea of leading a church in Brixton didn't even enter my head. It wasn't even a far-off thought. In fact, I was probably quite glad. I'm going, I'm just glad God didn't call me to Brixton. Yeah, I know about Brixton. Glad it's not there. Thank you, Lord, for Dulwich and Tulsa, all those other places. Thank you, it's not Brixton. But God had called us. I knew this, that God had called us to build a church that was full of his Holy Spirit and, and, that, and, that, and that in everything we would do, there would be a sense of the presence of God. Because if you take that out, you're not unique anymore. You're just a community of people doing community stuff. But it's the sense of the presence of God that makes the difference. It's the sense of the presence of God in the meeting that one day is going gonna, is gonna to bear fruit in food bank that one day will bear fruit among young people, that one day will bear fruit among vulnerable people, that one day will bear fruit among families around us. It's the sense of the presence of God. It's not just because we've got, we've got some good ideas. 
He also told us it would be a grace-filled church, which meant it wouldn't be a church that was based around a particular group of people, but the idea that God's grace is available to all who would, who would respond to it. That it's not performance-orientated, it's not culturally-orientated. It's not ethnically orientated. It's not gender orientated. Grace is this thing that God gives to all of us. We're all saved by grace. And do you know what? He calls you to extend the same grace that saved you to other, towards other people. Not to judge them, to receive them, to accept them, to pray for them. And that we were going to serve the community. And so in these early days, we must allow God more and more, and I've, I've learned this more and more, to set the agenda. It's God who leads us forward. We've discovered that. He's moved obstacles. God brought us to Brixton. It was not a strategic move on my part, let me tell you. It wasn't me sitting down with the other leaders and going, do you know what, looking at the map, the place to be, nah, stand in Brixton. No, it wasn't that at all. Yeah? It was God who spoke. And I was challenged by a prophetic word from uh, one of the women in the church. I, I was challenged to, uh, to think about Brixton. And I came to Brixton and I thought, ah, this place is a bit busy for me. Yeah? I remember thinking, oh, I quite like church in the dark. I quite like church hidden away. Yeah? I realised that. I thought I quite like church. And then, and, then, and then the moment I think that, I go, oh, that's the reason I have to move. Because I like church like that. So the moment I realised I like church like that, I realised, oh, we've got to move. We've got to move. Because I've learned this tiny, tiny thing. I've learned that it's better to obey. It's better to do what he says than just to leave it there and think, well, I'll just work around that. God's asked me to do that. I'm really not sure about that. I'll just work around that. I'll try and build that around that. It's better to obey. It's better to do what he asks you to do. And just very quickly, before I just pray to close... We're learning some things. We're learning that God builds the church. I know that, that just sounds like a phrase, but we're genuinely learning that. God builds the church. And actually, he doesn't need as much help from me as I thought. Yeah? Sometimes my ideas, he's like, I mean, just put that to one side, please. This is what we're going to do. Secondly, we're learning that faith is only really faith when what you're seeking to do can only be done if God comes. It's not faith if you can practically work it out. Yeah? If I can organise something and I can make something happen, that's not faith. Faith is when you, what I'm seeking to do, I can't see with my mind's eye and I can't do in the natural. Only God can do it. That's faith. Yeah? So, so when we build a church in Brixton, in a place where there is so much need for restoration of people, of families, of, of young people, there's so much need of it, you realise, do you know what, we can't do that. Yeah? Personality doesn't do that. Programmes don't do that. Only God can do that. So the moment we do that, we realise, oh, this, this is a faith venture. When you have a faith venture, one of the things you must do is you must pray. Yeah? So prayer is there. So secondly, faith is only faith when what you're seeking to do can only be done if God comes. Thirdly, the importance of personal and corporate prayer in engaging in the spiritual battles that we're in. I don't know whether you're aware we're in a spiritual battle. Simply by doing church here, we're in a spiritual battle. If you don't recognise that and you don't pray in relation to that, you're in danger. You're in danger of being, I suppose, taken out of the battle. We're in danger of not making it. So prayer has become vital for us. Personal and corporate prayer. 
vital. So if you're not praying, let me encourage you, pray. If you don't know how to pray, ask God. I didn't know how to pray, and so I asked God. God, teach me how to pray. Yeah, And I used to pray before I went to the prayer meeting in order that God would give me the faith to pray in the prayer meeting. That's what I used to do. So you need to come through, we need to come through on those battles. And fourthly, the importance of personal and corporate worship. It's exclusive. If you are not worshipping God, you are worshipping something. Make no mistake, something is being worshipped by you. Something has your allegiance, something has your time, something has all your hours. And if it's not God, it's something else. But nothing but God that you worship will give you life. Nothing. It might appear to, but it won't. It won't satisfy. So we've learned, the, or we're learning the importance of personal and corporate worshiping, worship in, in, in seeing God as God and is welcoming the Holy Spirit in our midst. Personally, corporately, when we gather in twos and threes, like Donovan talked about, when we pray, God answer prayer. He's answering prayers. So just to finish with, it leaves us with the challenge of expectations. You see, there's a foundational Christian expectation that we would all share, and that is God will be with me no matter what. Yeah, We all believe that. If you're a Christian, you probably believe that. God will be with me no matter what. But sometimes underlying that expectation is this. God will cause all things to work out for me and my dreams and blessings and my plans uh, and he'll do that. And sometimes we think that, that those two things are interlinked but they're not interlinked. God will be with you no matter what. But sometimes things won't work out in the way that you expect. And when they don't, the idea is not that you turn around and get disillusioned and think, oh God is not speaking to me. Where is he? It's that you go back to this, no, God will be with me no matter what. So even though the plan hasn't worked out, when Abraham is walking those three days, he's thinking, oh, God will be with me. God is with me. God will provide. God will provide. I don't know how. I don't know the answer, but God will provide. We need to get there. And when God tests you like he tests Abraham, you need to see that test as a privilege. It's a privilege. Because God only tests and disciplines those he loves those he's working on, those he's working in. If you're not feeling or never felt any test, you might need to think about, where am I with God? But if you're feeling the, 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 the fire of the furnace in your life right now, as sometimes I do, and my natural tendency is to go, oh, God, not again. Yeah, that's my natural tendency. But our tendency must become one that goes, God, it's a privilege. For if you are interested in me, it's because you have plans and purposes for me. And I can hold on to that. And God, more than anything, I want to be gold. I don't want to be wood. I don't want to be burnt up. I don't want to die out. So there's much in there. We don't have time really for a response. So I'm just going to pray. But as I pray, if, if in your heart you want to respond, then I'll just invite you, like, let's all just close our eyes. If you want to respond, I'm just going to invite you to stand where you are and I'm just going to pray. If you really want prayer, you can come out afterwards, but, but at the moment, if you just go, God, yeah, I, I need to be more like Abraham. I need that type of faith. I haven't learned that a lesson in obedience. If that's you, you want to respond to God this morning, then I'll ask you to stand so that I can pray. That's how we're going to finish. So just give you a moment now.
if you're standing, why don't you just hold your hands out? It's, it's, uh, it's, you're just saying, God, I'm, do you know what? I'm open. I, I don't get it all. I, don't, I, I can't fathom everything. But I just know. And if you're not standing, you just might want to reflect on, on some of what's been said. But Father, I, I pray this morning for us, and I pray particularly for those that are, that are standing now before you. And It's their way of saying, God, I need more of that. I need more of you. I want to learn the obedience test and the faith test. I, I want to learn these tests. Father, I pray for every person who stands before you now, that you would touch them by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would move out of the way obstacles in their lives to the very plans and purposes that you have for them. And Lord, I pray where for some of us we need to put Isaac on the altar. I pray help us to do that. Help us to put the thing on the altar that we worship the most. The thing on the altar that at the moment, if we think, if this were it, I would struggle. If you're saying that, you need to put that on the altar. And so, Father, we come to you this morning. We say, would you come to us by your Holy Spirit? I pray this week, Father, teach us more and more about the obedience and the faith that comes when we walk with you. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you willingly went to the cross for us, that we might not just know about your Father, but we might know him for ourselves. And Father, for everyone here, I pray, may they move from a place of of knowing about you to knowing you. And Lord, as we move from that place, I pray for obedience to come readily to us. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you'd like to take a seat. We're going to... Finish there. I think Ben just going to put on some music. If, if you do want prayer, I'll, I'll be down here. Phil's down here, and John. Uh, some of the leaders are down here. If you want, if you want prayer, otherwise there'll be tea and coffee, and uh, groups this week. Men, we're meeting again on Saturday.